0: Welcome to another episode of Conic Detrimental. I am Dan Lust. Joined this episode by Mike Lawson and Taryn Sharma. What's up, guys? How's it going? How's it going, Dan? We've been spending a lot of time, certainly, uh, on NFL issues, which are obviously very important, but this is a a sports podcast that covers any and all issues. So what we have in, in the sports Vernacular, maybe the, the biggest thing you can have in sports law is a potential lockout. The Major League Baseball CBA expires uh, very shortly, just coming up in a, in a couple of days, weeks. So we thought it best to kind of pivot a little bit and talk about issues going on in baseball. And we bring on uh, later this episode, we'll have him on in a, in a couple minutes. But it's Evan Drellick over at The Athletic. He's been on with us before. So we're going to talk all things Major League Baseball, CBA, this $500 million grievance that Manfred and Tony Clark are duking out. Maybe potential expansion, as we've been talking about with the St. Louis Rams saga. Obviously, Oakland Athletics maybe are potentially moving. Um, and then some issues with baseball arbitration. So a lot to go over with Evan. I don't, I don't know, guys. I feel like we, 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 uh, we have some other baseball. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Yeah.
1: How about those Guardians? How about the Guardian sign committing suicide? it just yeeted itself off the building within like an hour of being put up.
0: So like brand new area of gardens, baseball team store, all the fans packing it. Let's put up the sign. And once the signs up, all the fans will be allowed to go in and the sign is up for a split second and literally obliterates (laughs) itself into a million pieces. If that's not a sign, like legitimately, no pun intended, that's not a sign of really bad things to come. Like, I don't really know what else is right. Wasn't there, there was a curse for the Chicago Cubs for like a hundred years based on a goat, not being led into the stadium. This one's <laughs> a lot more obvious. Like you stole something from the roller derby team. You put it a- <laughs> and then it obliterates itself.
1: At least, you know, you feel bad for the Cubs. It's a bit of an unforced error. You're just not supposed to have goats in the ballpark, but here like a simple Google search could have avoided the curse of the roller derby team.
0: I mean, it's a, it's a fair rule. Don't allow a goat in the stadium. And then the guy puts a hex on everyone, Right. I guess the curse of the Bambino was a little bit more legitimate. Like right? you trade Babe Ruth, you kind of have it coming to you. This is a little bit closer to the curse of the Bambino, right? Like you kind of know you have this special player who's a, you know, this fantastic pitcher, probably in BP's smoking homers. And you trade, like, you sell them for some, you guys probably know, baseball students. They sold them to like fund some show. The owner was doing Broadway yeah. like, yeah, show. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the era of, of Cleveland baseball. I think this is as good of a curse as any, and you know what? Maybe we're the first podcast to mention, you know, we're the first one to spot a legal issue. We're the first one to know that this is the curse of the roller derby guardians. I I think that's fair.
2: I think the worst part about this that we've seen come out is the fact that the roller derby guardians are maintaining the Cleveland guardians Twitter handle. I think that was a horrible leverage point that the Cleveland guardians baseball team couldn't just couldn't get out from under them. So their handle is going to be at CLE guardians.
0: Yeah, it's, at Klee Guardians, and then, you know, I had fun with this while we were researching the Real Guardians issue. You look up any team name, like even Tigers.com, which is an animal. Like, that could go to Tiger King for all I know. It goes to the baseball Tigers. Yankees, Red Sox, you know, you you name it, it goes to the team. Now the Indians, don't they, they don't have Guardians.com. That's still for sale, last I checked, for anybody to buy because they couldn't apparently afford a real website. ClevelandGuardians.com goes to the roller derby team. So you know how to get to the Cleveland Guardians website, baseball team? Klee What a joke. What an absolute joke. So we were trying to figure out how much this, uh, you know, settlement was, they're not getting the website. They're not getting the Instagram handles. So I guess they just, you know, they bought their way into a coexistence agreement on the trademark. So I don't know, maybe that's worth a little bit less than seven figures, but it's a trademark for the whole name. So I still wouldn't shock me if it
1: was still a million dollars, but I don't know. Pretty typical, I think, of the Dolans that all they got out of the deal is to save a little bit of money and then didn't get any of the best pieces back.
0: You know, it's funny. All they're saying, it's like, you know, in baseball, like a tie goes to the runner. They're basically like, you know what? Announcement, we tied with the roller derby team. We are on the same level (laughs) of them. We did not win the argument. We did not lose it. We both came out equal and Roller Derby, same level, which is, <laughs> it, it, it's only funny because it's true. Like, what what are these guys doing? I, I don't know. Let me turn it over to you guys before we, we bring in Evan. I know I wanted you guys on the podcast in particular. You're both huge, huge baseball fans. Mike, let me hear from you first, and we'll go to Taryn. I know you're a uh, diehard Yankees fan. I think baseball is your favorite sport. What What are your thoughts here? You know, what what issues are we kind of looking at? And, I mean, do you think this lockout is is likely at this point?
2: Well, I'm very eager to hear what Evan Drellick has to say. I mean, he was definitely, he was in the room at the GM meetings. He heard what Manfred had to say. His article is up on The Athletic. You guys can read it. It's very daunting what Manfred's comments are. I mean, we've heard over the past couple of years, Manfred is kind of, I don't even know if he's speaking off the cuff or who's looking at his statements before he makes them. But it appears that Major League Baseball is like totally okay with this offseason going into a lockout. Like it's no big deal that because baseball's not happening, it's different than a midseason lockout or something like that, where they're closing the doors or skipping games. But there's potential here, like December 2nd, they need a deal. So he says they have all intentions on making a deal December 1, but then they don't even care whether or not they do or not because they're like, oh, we have the off season. But the problem here is if they don't come to a deal on December 2nd, then a lockout starts and then your free agency, all transactions are halted. So now you have these big name offseason free agents who can't do any deals. Teams can't sign any players. They can't make any moves because they're still trying to figure out a new collective bargaining agreement that they've been negotiating for the last four years. It's very upsetting, I think, to sports fans and it, you hear it from the owners, you hear it from the players, you hear it on all sides here that there there should be a deal. There's clear contention here. And I'm very curious to see what Evan has to say about like the big contentions that are happening right here. Like what's what's halting the bus? But in terms of do I think that there's going to be a lockout? I think so. I think so. Just based on what Manfred is saying, he he's talking about a lockout like it's no big deal just because it's in the off season. So I don't know. that My impression is... Definitely a negative one because I thought that they might have been a little bit further along in the process here, but I'm I'm definitely eager to hear from, from Evan.
0: So, Taryn, turning to you, I used to work in baseball for my beloved San Francisco Giants. You know, I reckon to say baseball is your favorite sport as well. Tell me what you think. You think we're going to have a lockout? What issues are we looking for? And uh, what do you think of this guest? Pretty pretty nice get for the pod.
1: Huge get. Uh, I don't think any writer in baseball has been more plugged in than Evandrellic has in the last couple of years, considering that he broke probably the biggest scandal in baseball in a couple of decades with the Houston Tros. I'm thinking that the biggest block towards getting an agreement right now is the debate over cost certainty. And I'm really excited to see what Evan has to say about where we are and what his predictions are for moving the ball.
0: So with that being said, let us turn it over to our guest, Evan Drellick. Evan, welcome to Conduct Detrimental. It's, it's been a while.
3: Dan, I'm how are you doing? I'm, do, I'm hanging in there
0: so we had you on probably about a year ago and you know what since you've been last with this podcast is now just top 10 podcasts in the world i don't know if you knew that i don't know if you're checking the top 10 charts but you know we're inching up the charts
3: i'm flattered that you would bring me back as you're going to be removed from the top 10 very quickly now that you have me again
0: fair fair so obviously i was not under oath because i would be uh, hit with perjury for that because that is not true but uh, evan <laughs> pleasure having you on so we've been covered a lot of football on the podcast recently but you know we wanted to go back to our roots I'm a baseball fan at heart. I think all of us hold baseball very near and dear. And we have, you know, in our sports circles, a potential lockout on the horizon, which is where, you know, we say we need sports lawyers for everything. But when it, when it comes to a potential lockout, certainly that's a true and tried intersection of sports and the law. So we wanted to give it to you. Can you tell us the latest on the baseball lockout front? Obviously, the CBA is set to expire very soon. And we keep hearing rumblings that this might be a, a real lockout, a real problem on the horizon.
3: Yeah, I think we are headed for a lockout. It feels inevitable. There's still a tiny chance that they come to an agreement ahead of the expiration of the current deal, which expires 11 59 PM Eastern on December 1st. It just feels improbable that they would actually get something done in time. And if they don't, we're going to have a lockout starting on December 2nd. And then the big question is, well, the first big question is how long does that go? Does it go until spring training or is there any interruption of games? And then secondary to that, or, or perhaps really the primary question is what comes of it? what changes do they make in this lockout? If any, you know, who, who eventually wins the labor dispute. So going to be a fun winner. Everybody strap in.
0: I have kind of one more general question. We'll get kind of into the meat. You and I were talking last year, uh, and obviously this was the talk of, of the world, right? When we had these COVID shortened seasons, it was almost like a mini CBA negotiation because all the leagues had to get their stuff together. The only one that didn't was football really, because football had just done their CBA. So, basketball had to stop their season, baseball, you know, had their own issues getting their act together. You know, what's your read of the room, right? Is it, I remember a year ago saying, hey, this wound is going to be a little fresh, right? They had just done these really heated negotiations over the amount of games, right? If it was going to be prorated, the salaries and where the games going to be played. Baseball, I think got at the worst of anyone through the pandemic, just because seemed to be a lot of either mistrust on both sides, a lot of, we'll say swiping in the media. What's your sense of uh, kind of the residual effects of these uh, COVID negotiations?
3: Well, Manfred at the owner's meetings in Chicago tried to downplay the impact of that. I forget his exact phrasing, but that was his message, was that people were paying too much attention to what happened in 2020. The reality is that what happened in 2020, certainly to some on the player's side, felt like a lockout. The, the, the players look at it as, as though they were experiencing kind of a trial run for what we're likely headed into now. And you know, the, the question of trust on both sides, I think, can get exaggerated sometimes because this is a relationship that's supposed to be somewhat contentious. That's how management and labor unions work. It's not supposed to be a party where they're always getting along and happy with each other. But even within that, if you remember, there was that meeting in 2020 where Manfred and Clark get together and there were two very different versions of what happens in this meeting in Arizona between Manfred and Clark. And I, I think that Strained the trust. At the end of the day, I, I think most people involved would tell you that it's really about the issues. You know, even if if there is distrust, what it will it will come down to is the proposals. And they're not at the point where they're not talking. You know, they they've been able to make at least some progress on some of the many you know the dozens of subjects that they have to collectively bargain. Obviously, they're able to work together in holding the season. right? They're able to get COVID protocols done. So it's not like they're not functional at all. But 2020 was something that resonated, particularly for players. And Rob Manfred did not do much to engender trust with those players. Players don't typically respond well to the commissioner.
0: One quick follow, then I want to get into the proposals. You know, Rob Manfred got dinged, and, and this was a story that that took up a lot of airspace at the time, and it's since kind of been pushed to the background. Rob Manfred had a line on, I think it was on the Dan Patrick show. I remember I was following it, you know, how many games is it going to be versus what, you know, what the salaries are going to be for players. And there was this whole kind of level, and, and behind it, the owners kept saying, you know, maybe through sourcing essentially that their their position was the more games that were played, the more money that owners would lose. Now, you know, we'll never really, I mean, I'll never see behind the books. Maybe Evan, you have a beat on that, but I don't know if that was true or not true, but on the Dan Patrick show, Rob Manfred went up and said, no matter how the negotiations went with the players, it was always going to be X amount of games. So, you know, on on our show, I remember we had an emergency episode dedicated to it. Did Rob Manfred essentially just admit that he was negotiating in bad faith? And I think everyone was pretty, pretty clear. That he said something inappropriate, he had to go back and unwind it, but that didn't stop Tony Clark and the PA from filing this five hundred million dollar grievance against Manfred that, that we thought was going to be used, you know, during negotiations. So before we get into specifics, do you have any kind of update on on where that stands? I know it uh, it seems to be a um, you know you know no pun intended like a five hundred million dollar bargaining chip here.
3: Yeah, I think that's right. It, it I would guess that it will end up being resolved as part of negotiations. A schedule was set in that grievance. And if I'm remembering right, I believe the, the league filed a grievance of its own kind of a counter grievance, but there hasn't been an update on it beyond that. So I would expect it goes away whenever this CBA gets done. It, it doesn't mean it has to go that way. I, I don't know what that schedule that was set was. I'd like to, if you guys can find out, please let me know. But yeah, it, it looms over it. Although I guess I would say I haven't heard a ton about it, so I don't know how much it's really impacting the proceedings and and the discussions of the topics that they would normally be discussing anyway. So it it is there, but it's not something I've heard a ton about lately.
1: Evan, I want to jump back to one thing that you mentioned as to uh, the lockout being able to go any range of times. What is the absolute tipping point date in your mind beyond December 1st that is going to result in the league missing games? Is it uh, when pitchers and catchers report? Is it when spring training games officially start?
3: I think it's the day at which you reach a cutoff for the minimum amount of spring training to be held such that the regular season can start on time. So basically whatever the day is that controls whether you can make opening day, assuming that you can't push opening day back, you know, because in the past it's been, The case that they've been able to extend the season start a week late so let's say that they can't start a week late that that if they miss opening day that game is gone and they're playing one game fewer than every game fewer from there if that's the case then what is the minimum amount of time that you need for spring training 2020 if i recall i think the the second spring training that the summer camp or whatever the heck we ended up calling it that was what three to four weeks so probably you need all of march for spring training the opening day is, uh, I think, the last day of March. So if that's the case, well, then how much time do you need to make sure people get to camp on time? I think you're looking at the somewhere in the final week of February. Just just instinctually to me, to get people in place in time to have a shortened spring training. If you don't want to have a shortened spring training, then you're looking at you know basically February first. Right, camps are going to open that kind of first week of February, maybe the second week as they normally do. So. It's somewhere in February, possibly late February, is where you start to worry about the regular season itself. It's not that canceling spring training should be ignored, but where's the real money? It's the regular season.
1: I know that you said that we were headed towards a lockout. What would you say that the percentage chance uh, is that we end up with that work stoppage? And then beyond that, uh, I, I heard you say earlier this week that the owners are more or less fine with a status quo kind of deal. Do you think that the players would be willing to sign some sort of short-term, kick-the-can-down-the-road status quo deal to avoid a work stoppage?
3: I think the players are unhappy. I know the players aren't happy. We all know the players aren't happy with the current system. And as I understand it, their view on keeping the status quo would be that it favors the league. that, That kind of the whole premise of their position is that they want changes. And so they wouldn't be serving their interests or their best interests. They think if they were to agree to an extension. Now, if you're talking about two or three more weeks to avoid a lockout, just to negotiate, I think that would be very plausible. If you're saying we're going to keep this CBA, the current CBA in force for another year and just kick the can down the road and have this negotiation next winter that I don't think is tenable. I don't think the players would go for that. I do think if they're close on December 1st and want to avoid a lockout, if you know, one or both sides says to the other, hey, let's just keep talking for another couple of weeks, I, I think the players would be open to that. I don't think the owners are going to do that. I think the owners are going to move for a lockout if, if there isn't a deal on December 1st. Is there wiggle room there? We're going to find out You know, if they somehow do get close. But for the per- percentage chance, I think I said on another podcast earlier today. I was asked on a zero to 100 scale. I said 99. So that that means I think it's 99%, right? I, it, even if it's 95%, it, they're it so far apart with just two weeks to go. The wild card is, do the proposals they make in this final week of November bring them closer? You know, Do they start to get more serious or are both sides kind of ready to dig in and are going to wait to get serious until they really have to, which is later in the winter?
0: Evan, right? Just very quick, one hundred percent or ninety-nine percent chance of a lockout. But I think what fans are curious: what, what are the percentage chances that we actually lose games, right? That we don't have a full season? Is that is that ninety-nine percent, or is that some, you know, number below that?
3: No, I th- I think it's pretty low. Uh, I'm trying. I, th- I think the question was asked to me in the inverse. It was what percentage chance do we have that games start on time? Okay. I, I, okay. If I'm remembering the question right to me previously, I believe I said about. Eighty-five percent. So I, I, I don't. The thing for me at this point, and this can change. I, I want to be clear about that. What has not been identified on either side, at least publicly, are the issues that that they are going to plant their flag on and say we have to have this or we're not going to work. And and I think until we have a sense of what they're, I keep using phrases I don't like with this. I've said the other day hill to die on. I'll say right now, you know, what what is a do or die issue? I don't like bringing death into this, but. We don't know what that is, right? What is the one thing or the set of things that the players absolutely will not go to work for them? What is the, the same thing on the owner's side? I think it's understandable at this point that they haven't identified those things, right? Those are kind of not trade secrets, but th- those are things they probably want to keep close to the vest. They're not going to give their bottom lines at this point. But, you know, like in 94, I keep going back to this. You knew the salary cap was a thing the players were going to fight against. So what is that thing or set of things right now that they think they have to have or they will not go back to work. We know their general concerns. We know the buckets of areas that they're concerned about. We know what they're trying to do thus far. But which of the things they're trying to do thus far do they need, must they have? That's what we're going to find out.
2: You said it before, Evan. I think it puts it pretty generally, but it's a great way to describe it. Like most labor negotiations you always have this kind of contentious like fight between owners and the labor union so I believe it was back in October even Jerry Reinsdorf was basically knocking the players saying that the other side they don't take it serious until like the very end which is why we've come all this way and we still don't know some of these big points of contention that you were just referencing but we would be remiss if we didn't bring up the fact that one of the biggest things in the last year we've been talking about I mean not just the last year but for the last year you know, since the last signing of the, the last CBA was service time manipulation and arbitration process. I mean, just the beginning of this year, we had the Mariners president, Kevin Mather, having comments basically how he blatantly did service time manipulation for Jared Klenick. And there was a whole process that happened after that. And it's just right now it's not outlawed or it's not you know eradicated in the CBA. So do you see that as a, as a big point of contention and how the major league baseball teams operate with their young players and their farm system and the arbitration process.
3: Yeah, you know, arbitration and service time, the, 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 I guess they're connected, but they, they can also be a little different. The notion of when you bring up a player, uh, somebody who's well-versed in all this said to me that it, it's essentially impossible if you have a system that is based on counting days to create one that can't be manipulated. Right? Like, what is that mechanism that you can put in that you could forever avoid it? And so that might be the case. You know, what with, with the... Certainly one of the two big buckets of the players is getting players paid more when they are younger. So the players to this point have proposed a few different things, a a, a large performance bonus pool for young guys, pre-arbitration. They want to get guys to arbitration in two years instead of three for first-time eligibility. They also, even at, at the upper end, getting to free agency. In some cases, they want guys, depending on their age, to be able to get to free agency After five plus years rather than having to wait the the full six. So the union is trying to do different things to address if we want to call it the plight, but the plight of the young players. And you know, they're they're certainly understood to be the most cost-effective type of players. And that's why teams are making all, all the moves that they are. Now, when you get to the arbitration system, it's a little bit of a different set of issues where the players they don't enjoy the contentious nature of hearings. And neither do teams, but the players also don't want to give up a mechanism that allows them to argue for higher salaries. If you go to this system that the league has proposed, it's it's set, it's predetermined. Well, the first proposal is a predetermined amount of money that would go to the, the arbitration eligible players or players that are currently considered to be arbitration eligible. And then the second proposal is where we saw them saying, all right, instead of a predetermined amount of money, we will do this based on war and, and Fangraph's version of war. But you know, the, player, the players don't want that type of system. And I think the owners know that. And I think they probably knew that when they made the proposal. It's not going to go anywhere. I, 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 at this point, don't see those overarching major systems changing. Right? I would be surprised if we come out of this and arbitration is just gone. Players like it. Agents like it. It's a place where agents earn some of their money and agents do have some influence in this process. They have influence on players and, and they certainly are involved. They talk to the union, you know, the union leadership is separate from the union, from the, from the agents, but it's not a non-factor. So I don't think arbitration is going anywhere, but that overall bucket of how do you get players paid younger is front and center.
2: Just one quick follow up. So you, you say you don't think that the system of arbitration is going to change coming out of this, but going back to what you said before, no, I, I not going to
3: be eliminated. It doesn't mean it doesn't change. I don't think it's going to disappear.
2: Right. Right. So definitely when it comes to, you know, increasing pay and this bonus system that you mentioned for younger players. I think we've seen a, a big push for the minor league system, obviously a huge issue last year during the COVID era was the cutting of these 40 minor league baseball teams. And then now we just saw that came out where minor league baseball teams have to house minor league players. And it's definitely a big push for these younger players to get some more help and support here. So when it comes to the increasing these bonuses, do you you see that as more realistic to be an outcome of this as opposed to, like you said, like an all-out cancellation or change of the arbitration process?
3: Well, you can put a dollar figure on those bonuses, right? And 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 it and that's kind of if you look at everything that's happened thus far, I don't think I've said this anywhere else, maybe at the bottom of the story recently. But like if you really boil down what's happened so far, it's the player saying we want changes and the owner saying, sure, you can have these changes, but you're you're taking the money from one spot moving it to another, right? And the, and the player's argument is no, 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 we think you we can we we don't have to give back the money here. You you should just pay us more in this area. So it's as realistic as the owners are willing to pay the money and whether or not they're willing to do so without that money coming back to them in, in some form in return. I mean, that's really the crux of the whole thing. I don't know if that answers your question well, but yeah, it's certainly, it's a reasonable thing, but if, if it comes with a price tag of several hundred million dollars, that's, and that might be high for, for what we're talking about here, but Whatever the price tag is on that mechanism, that's what the owners are going to be thinking about.
2: Well, I think we saw that earlier too, earlier this year when we the proposal kind of came out, where there was the offer of a, a payroll f- floor to make sure that teams had to spend at least amount this amount of money. But in the counter side of that, they also said, but we're going to lower the luxury tax threshold, so it penalizes teams to go over that again. So I, I think to that point, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna there's going to be pull on both sides.
3: Yeah. I mean, right. That proposal is a good example of what I'm saying is sure. You want to get players paid more when they're younger, you know, all right, we'll, we'll, you know, increase the pay for guys prior to free agency. Uh, And then once you get to free agency, well, guess what? You're walking out into a landscape that the luxury tax threshold has been lowered. The penalties to go over the luxury tax are higher and your, your best players who probably would get to free agency at like 27. Now they're gonna have to wait till they're 29 and a half. You know, that that's kind of the crux of, of that proposal, you know, I haven't been able to look over any proposal in full at this point. I don't think anybody outside of the bargaining table has maybe, maybe some of the players and owners, but you know, as we understand that proposal, that's, that's the meat of it. You know, you're kind of killing free agency to benefit a different group of players. The players get leery about the notion of dividing the players, right? There's, There's a whole backdrop of is the league trying to pit different types of players against one, one another. And you can sit there and go, well, there's a reality that there are, you know, depending on what your interest is at at a certain age, you you might have different interests. So then it goes to a question of, well, what's in the best interest overall? What helps grow, you know, the player's overall take? So there's, you know, just a lot of fun nuance involved.
1: Evan, you mentioned at the end of your story. And I think at the end of your most recent story, there was this quote that you included from Commissioner Manfred, where he was talking about his legacy. And he said, whatever it, my quote, unquote, legacy turns out to be, it, it's going to turn out to be and all I can do is give my very best every single day. In your experience, does Commissioner Manfred strike you as somebody that is, would be concerned about his legacy? Is this kind of puffery and maybe like a false humility or a false kind of laissez-faire attitude do you think that he is concerned about how future eons of baseball will perceive his tenure especially if we end up with some sort of labor stoppage and could that be a factor in ultimately reaching agreement
3: yeah i actually was the one who asked him that question about his legacy and he uh wasn't a very long pause but he did he did pause before answering it which made me you know think he was it would appear he was thinking about it before he, he gave the answer. I think in with things like this, it comes back to a little bit of intuition, like most often, like, you know, think about when a player gets traded and you wonder what was the player thinking about this, this, and, and that related to, yeah, of course they were right. Like it, it's a human, basic human thing. I think. So, if, you know, if you were the commissioner or if somebody else was the commissioner, would you be concerned with your legacy hell yeah yeah you would think about it now does that mean you are become negligent in what your job requires for that legacy or or kind of ignore a a, a different element of your job for that legacy I, you know that maybe that's where it gets interesting you know, what is the commissioner's job the commissioner's job is to ultimately serve the owners to make money for the owners and so I, I think Rob Manfred Knows where his bread is buttered. It's been buttered very heavily. Uh, he's he's certainly not poorly compensated, and I, I think that's the guiding force. You know, it's it's at the end of the day, him trying to corral and manage this group of owners. And I'm sure, as he as he you know pointed out in this press conference, he lived 94. He was there. He's been in labor and baseball. Since the late 80s, you know, he was outside council in the late 80s uh, and into the 90s. He knows he won't be remembered fondly if if games end up being canceled. But he also, you know, I, this is a speculative, right? I, I I certainly can't speak for him. Maybe he doesn't care. But the, the owners were considered to have lost that 94 strike. Uh, he's actually pointed out directly to me that, you know, they're, they're, that might not be really the way to look at it. I did this oral history of the 94 strike and he had some, some interesting comments in there that might be worth going back and looking at for people who, who were interested, right? Like the owners end up with the luxury tax and revenue sharing coming out of that strike, uh, which is interesting because those are kind of the mechanisms that are problematic now. But They didn't get the salary cap. You know, it, I don't think it's unfair to at least wonder, is there unfinished business for a guy who was around, you know, back then it it is and our our owners still kind of hungry for you know continuing to limit player salary growth i'm sure the latter is true so i i can't speak for rob Manfred. i can't get inside his head i think anybody who says they don't care about their own legacy is uh, what's not lying but not explaining the full dynamic you know, it's not, I don't think it, it might be that things take precedence, but of course, he who doesn't care about their legacy in some way? Everybody. Right. I'm, you tell me if I'm wrong.
0: In the eyes of some baseball fans, Rob Manfred's legacy was forever tarnished when he called the World Series trophy a piece of metal. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure yeah. if he can necessarily come back uh, from that, but you know, uh, we're a glass half full podcast. We, you know, uh, I don't I wish poorly upon anybody, especially a fellow lawyer like Rob Manfred. So Evan, I know, I know you're busy today and want to be very mindful of your time. We really appreciate you coming on. I know you have a book coming out on the Astros saga. Anything you want to say on, on that level or is it, is it premature? I know it's not coming out for a little bit.
3: It should be out next summer. It's called Winning Fixes Everything. It's been a real bear of a project, something I've worked really hard on it's years of reporting, not just in the last Couple of years, but the time I spent in Houston, you know, Ken Rosenthal and I were, were the ones to break the science-stealing story. And it's a franchise I know very, very well. And I, I think it's a, a pretty revelatory story. And I, I hope people pick it up eventually. The other, the other thing that's going on right now, the Athletic has its its own set of podcasts. The main podcast suite is called The Athletic Baseball Show. And I'm doing a once-a-week kind of labor bent type of podcast. And that's been on Wednesdays so far. So, you know, go do, if you want more uh, labor talk, go check that out too.
0: That's, that's the right place to uh, promote it. We are full of lawyers and law students. All they care about is this baseball CBA saga. Evan, lovely having you on. When the book does come out, uh, obviously feel free to stop by. We're happy to promote it everywhere, everywhere and anywhere.
3: Thanks, guys. I should have gotten my JD. I kicked myself every day.
0: No problem. You can join us. We'll, we're happy to, to give you your, your quasi-JD with us.
3: <laughs> Excellent.
0: Thanks, Evan. Thanks, Evan. So that was Evan Drellick with The Athletic. He is on Twitter at Evan Drellick. D R E L L I C A. So we obviously got into a lot. I'll open it up to you guys. Anything that we didn't touch on that that you thought we should have covered or anything that you kind of read into his
1: thoughts? I'm hoping that he will come back when his book comes out because I think there were so many more questions that we could have asked him about the Astros. And one thing that I would just want to know his personal take on is is there any level of fairness in his eyes that A.J. Hinch is employed again Alex Cora is back with the Red Sox and really the only people that have suffered are Carlos Beltran who has not gotten another opportunity after he was unceremoniously dismissed by the Mets and Jeff Luna so just getting his take on that his perspective on that I think would be helpful and I'm looking forward to reading his book. I think just some, for
2: clarification too, when I was, I asked them about the service time manipulation for those who don't know, or have not like full, fully deep dive into the CBA or know that much about baseball service time is basically this arbitration process for young players, right? So a player is controlled by a team that they play for, for six years. And in order for that to get a year of service time, you need to be, it's a, it's a counter and there's 187 days in the season. And this player must be on the active 26-man uh, roster or the injured list for the pro team, the Major League Baseball team, for 172 out of the 187 days. So if you were up with what ha- was happening with Chris Bryant and his grievance for the service time manipulation, his service time at the end of 2021 is five years and 171 days. So that's where you're you're seeing this uh, service time manipulation pop up because What it is, is a team is sending them down to the minor leagues for the perfect amount of time. So when they come up and play in a season, they don't get a full season. Now this rolls over. It's not like it doesn't like go away. So say you get 171 on one year, it goes right into the next season. So as soon as you get one day, then that's 172 and then that's one year. So that's the clock for arbitration. And then for arbitration purposes, it starts in their third year, between three and six years. So effectively, you have three years of arbitration. And that process is basically the player and his agent go to an arbitrator and say, this is what I think I should be paid for this year. And the team walks up and says, this is what we think we should pay this player for this year. And they're pretty good about it at this point. If one of them is like really way off, because it's based on precedent, then the arbitrator is just going to select the other proposal. And usually teams and, and agents and players kind of come to an agreement before they even get to that process, because they don't, like like you heard Evan say, they don't want to get into the, the details of a hearing and whatnot. So that was something just to clarify in that aspect. And another thing, I, I we didn't have enough time, but I, I think going from here, we have what the lockout means is it's a transactional freeze, which means that the free agent market comes to a halt. So I think, and maybe he wouldn't have even known, but from here on until December second, I think we're going to see a, a flood of free agent deals, maybe one year deals like we saw with Findergaard because he just wanted to, to get a deal signed. We have Robbie Ray, who his deals coming up; he's a free agent now, Raymond Cy Young. So there's a lot of free agent. You see Corey Seager, you see Mark Simeon. There's a lot of big name players in this free agent pool. So I'm curious to see what happens because if December 2nd hits and there's a lockout. Their free agency freezes along with it.
0: The one thing, Mike, you you mentioned is your point on arbitration. I I don't think we can. I mean, that was at least my big takeaway. Obviously, why I wanted to jump in is certainly clarifying, hey, 99% chance there will be a lockout. Congrats. If there's a lockout in December, it's not really going to affect baseball fans. If you have a shortened season, that's going to impact baseball fans much more. So I think what he said, if we're reading it appropriately, I think he said there's about, a, at least according to him, about a 15% chance that there will be a shortened season or delayed season in some way, shape, or form. That's probably the number you should pay attention to. We're not, we're not a doom and gloom podcast. We're not telling you. And I, I wanted to make sure he, he said what he meant, what he said. And it turns out there was somewhere in the middle. So he thinks there will certainly be a lockout but he is much less confident there will be a shortened season. So I remember probably it was 2012, but basketball had a shortened season of 66 games, I think. I think if memory serves, that's our last one of our four major sports that have a shortened season because of a, a labor strike. I think that's right. Certainly 94 baseball season, people, everyone will, will cite to that. But I think that's the last basketball one in the NBA is our last. He did. There is something interesting, you know, so you guys know I used to work in baseball arbitration. I coached a competition at Fordham. I competed in it, the, the Tulane Baseball Arbitration Competition. If you are listening to this podcast and you're a law student and you have not heard of the Tulane Baseball Arbitration Competition, maybe DM us, but you're missing out a lot. Actually, you know what? Before I, before I go any further, let us remind everybody that this podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. Uh, if you want to head to themisbar.com slash they are running a promotion right now. Last week, or last episode, I said it was $1,000 off. That is accurate. Normally, the price and just in all transparency is $2,500. If you sign up, I think it's until the end of the year, but don't wait and don't don't take my word for it. But I think it's in the next 30 days, you can buy it for uh, the same package for $1,500 with uh, using our special account. So again, that's ThemisBar.com slash Condetrimental. You know, jokes aside, like Taryn, you're using Themis Bar you, Emily Costanzo, who was on our podcast for the Guardians episode, she's using Themis. Jason, who was also on last episode, is using Themis. Uh, if you're using Themis... Hit me up. Maybe there's uh, maybe there's some swag we can send you if there's a T-shirt or something like that. But I know our, our friends over at Themis love it. Taryn, don't give me a thumbs down when you don't want a Themis T-shirt. No, 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 no. I'm Themis saying,
1: I, I'm pointing at myself. Why why have I not been offered a Themis T-shirt? I, I can't promise all that all all you'll
0: get them. a T-shirt, but I'd like to know if you're signing up with Themis. This this growing community of Themis, I'm happy to hear about it. I can't promise a T-shirt, but I can promise you that you will get the, the code at $1,500 as opposed to $2,500. How about that? How about that? I must say, too, if you, if
2: you if any of you listening here were on the Themis Zoom that day, Amazon Chris Fromm, you saw him. Chris Fromm is very present on that on that uh, conference. Uh, and Chris Fromm was the one who did my bar prep videos, too. And he is incredible. So Team Themis, make sure you sign up again. Themisbar.com forward slash con detrimental.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll spare Chris. Chris, I think, Taryn, you were on you were on that. Zoom. Maybe Mike was as well. Chris was a good interviewer. He uh, you know, that meme, Taryn, like you had me in the first half. Chris asked a question. I was not sure where he was going with the second half of that question. You guys are laughing because you know what the question was, but you know, we we got out of there. We're pros, I'm a pro in the panel. Anyway, so to finish my point on, on arbitration, right now, and I, I remember I did this competition, Taren, you, you probably know it well. It's called the, the Diamond Dollars Case Competition, another competition that occurs um, at NYU. It's a business-based competition, but I did it um, as a law student. I think it's still out there. A guy by the name of Vince Gennaro, a, a baseball lifer. People follow, follow baseball well. But the, there is, in baseball circles, a dollar amount for every win that's created. So that's when you hear the owners throwing out something like using Fangraph's war. There is some tie-in how productive a player is. You can kind of tie that to war. And okay, this player generated this amount of money for us. The world of arbitration, which I which I know well, I teach it in my class now, it's not really tied to wins, right? What's it tied to this like kind of closed universe of like how many innings a guy pitched, how many strikeouts the guy had, how many home runs the guy had. Those aren't necessarily tied to winning factors. So that would certainly turn um, the baseball offseason on its head, but that just know that that's a really kind of, you know, aggressive proposal that's out there.
1: Yeah. Not just the hard numbers, but also what previous players have gotten. So it's a system that is entirely self-containing. It's based upon itself.
0: Right. And it's inflation based and it keeps going up and up and up and it's not necessarily tied to reality. So I don't necessarily think arbitration is going to go away, but we're trying to find big takeaways of what Evan said. That's certainly the one that caught my attention. And obviously the percentages of there actually being a shortened season. Guys, anything else on Evan? I thought he was I thought he was really good. I mean, I think we're going to have him back on. I I, obviously he thinks there's going to be a lockout. So I I imagine we'll be hearing from Evan again.
1: Yeah. What I got out of it is uh, about what I expected is that there's going to be this battle over. Uh, owners looking for cost certainty and the players trying to get their younger members of the union paid sooner while also preserving future big free agent contracts one other thing that i would like to know his take on and hopefully we can ask him further down the line these regional sports networks they're struggling mightily and i would like to know what he thinks the future of baseball on television is is it going to go to a pure streaming model is that sustainable for the league The league was very early in on streaming over the internet, their BAM tech platform has earned the owners a ton of money. And so it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen going forward, because that is such a critical part of growing the game.
2: My biggest takeaway from Evan,
1: his line,
2: 99% chance that there's going to be a lockout. I mean, you can see that from the way that Manfred was talking about it, too. Granted, he said 85% chance that there will be a shortened season, which means they'll come to a resolution before spring training. But 99% chance come December 2nd that there's a lockout, which to me, I think the big deal is that's a free agent freeze. That's a, that's a, a transactional freeze. So um, definitely a big takeaway for me.
0: Okay, so let's jump into what to watch for. My what to watch for? Obviously, we, we're keeping uh, tabs on the St. Louis Rams relocation lawsuit. Dan Wallach. Uh, this is a travel week. I'm told that Wallach actually might be uh, in the United States this week. He uh, running joke on the podcast is that he wasn't actually in Russia; that he was somewhere else. But Dan uh, has been in Novosibirsk, Russia, for a year plus at this point, and, and uh, he has confirmed that he will. He, he is in the middle midst of a travel. So I don't know when Dan will. I think be he just heard.
2: said he just tweeted he's in Miami.
0: I don't know if I believe it though. I don't the know if States I believe that. Did the geotag say he was in Nova Superior or Did it say he was in Miami? Let's double check it. But uh, and anyway, why well, I mentioned we're keeping tabs on the RAM stuff. Well, Dan will be back on uh, for our next episode. But we had a really big development. Um, we're gonna have the. Well, I guess, I guess here's the long and short. We had our last episode that Stan Kroenke offered $100 million. The, the update now, and it's from Ben Fisher at the Sports Business Journal, who's been on this podcast, who's been on this podcast before. Mike is showing me with his phone that Dan is tweeting with his location tag in Miami. So, Dan, breaking news, breaking news. Dan is in the United States of America. An update from Ben Fisher at the Sports Business Journal, who has been on this podcast is that Stan Kroenke is essentially, right, we, we said he's making a $100 million offer. Uh, and I asked AJ, is that a global offer with other owners or is that a solo offer? And AJ essentially said it was a solo offer. So Ben Fisher's reporting goes one step further. It Seemingly, Kroenke is going to put up money to try to settle this case in isolation without the NFL. So I'm not sure how effective that would be. I do think that's a bluff. I don't think City of St. Louis wants to settle alone with Kroenke, the guy that, you know, I, I think constituents of St. Louis, certainly the lawyers are, are not going to factor this in, I wouldn't think. But I, I think the, the real, you know, pint of blood element to this lawsuit was putting Kroenke on the stand uh, and really, you know, twisting the knife in. I think from a culpability standpoint, if Kroenke is, is likely and the Rams are the most culpable party in all this, so if they're the ones orchestrating this fraud, I don't know why you would settle with them independently and not with the NFL Friend of the show, John Sigety, who has uh, he's, he's written for us before. I, I, you know, I feel like I know John pretty well at this point, raised a really good point on Twitter. And he said, even if you settle up right with if St. Louis settles with, you know, with Kroenke, there are these third party claims that the NFL can still have against Kroenke. So Kroenke doesn't really get out if he settles up. like it's not he doesn't just pay that one billion and he's done. He pays the $1 billion, then he still would have to fear the NFL owners coming after him with these third-party claims. And that's, that's this fancy term of indemnification that we keep talking about. So, you know, my what to watch for, there's a mediation scheduled for Tuesday. Stan Kroenke, at least per reports, views this case as being somewhere between $500 and $750 million, at least for his contribution. And there's mediation on, on Tuesday, you know, so a couple days. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see certainly what what comes of the mediation, and this could take a very different turn if he somehow settles. My gut is that he's not going to settle alone with Cronky but I, I do think um, sourcing is that supplying pressure on these other NFL owners to uh, to start poning up.
2: Thanks for the update, Dan, on the Rams. Um, definitely something to keep our eye on as that moves forward and closer to trial. My what to watch for here is definitely some daunting news coming out of the tennis world. We have Chinese tennis star Peng Shuai has accused a, a high member of the the former member of the Chinese Communist Party, uh, Zhang Gaoli, And right after that report came out, it was deleted. And ever since then, she has been missing. And there's just been a, a numerous amounts of tweets of trying to locate Peng Shui and the WTA. And their chairman and CEO, Steve Simon, has been trying to contact her and trying to, to locate her whereabouts. Uh, what really came out was a Chinese state-affiliated media company released a statement that said that this was an email from Peng Shui, basically her saying that she's okay and she she's fine, you know, that, but it, it was, it, it didn't appear as if it was from her. And we really don't know if it was from her. And then later on, WTA CEO, Steve Simon, again, said that that email only raised more concerns and that he has still been in failed attempts to try to contact Peng Shui. And the biggest story that's kind of come out of this is that the WTA is threatening to pull out of the, of China and trying to stand up against China in this um, issue after Peng
1: Shui has gone missing. I agree, Mike. It's a huge story. It'll be very interesting to see with the entire tennis community rallying around Peng Shui whether the uh, Women's Tennis Association can really live up to that promise of being willing to pull out of, uh, of China when that's a huge market for their business. Another thing to watch for with that is that I think in like 10 weeks, we've got the uh, Beijing Olympics coming up and all of these athletes are going to be going uh, to, to Beijing. Uh, so you know, is, is that proper? If, if this is the way that people who are standing up and, and giving credible allegations of sexual assault are being treated, that they're, that they're just being disappeared. Yeah, on top of that, too, we have reports of Biden saying that he was going to boycott
2: those Beijing Olympics.
0: Yeah, the only thing I, I want to add, I mean, we, we were talking about it offline. To the extent, you know, there there was at least one point with Daryl Morey and China in the NBA situation, like that maybe the NBA was going to take a stand, maybe LeBron was going to take a stand. And then all of a sudden, like the China story guys kind of went away. And, and you know, it wasn't really an issue anymore. And like Nike was going to pull out and whatnot. So, I don't know, maybe the story here is at least, you know, why I think it's a good one to watch for is like, OK, we have now a sports association going after the Chinese government in some way, shape or form. So it doesn't really happen. We, we hear sometimes just to spot the issues before they happen. So, you know, certainly we'll see what comes of it. But uh, wishing the best to to her family um, and everyone involved in the situation. Certainly a little messy, but, you know, we got to pay attention to it uh, from from our vantage point as well. OK, anything else on, on what to watch for boys?
1: Just something that I wrote about this week in the Sports Law Review newsletter that we send out every Friday and that you can uh, sign up for on the, uh, on the website, conductdetrimental.com. Uh, I, I wrote about this new crypto deal, uh, crypto.com, buying the naming rights to the building that was formerly known as the Staples Center. 20 years, $700 million, it's a massive deal and I think it just signifies how far cryptocurrency and blockchain has pushed into the collective American consciousness and especially through sports. Um, so this is not going anywhere and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it continues to grow and what the benefits are for the consumer. New nickname, The Crypt.
0: Awesome. Lakers fans do not like this. I can tell you very, on, on Twitter, it's very clear they hate this name. Um, but if their team is old. Well, no, they just hate the name and Clippers fans hate it too. And I think generally sports fans don't like it, which is which is fine. But here's the rule. It's actually the law of being a, a sports fan. You actually don't have to call it crypto.com. You can continue to call it the Staples Center. There is no such lawsuit. No Crypto.com can't come up to you. They can't haunt your dreams. You can call it whatever you want. But official branding, crypto.com. So if you don't want to call it crypto.com, do not have to. You will not be sued for it. That that You can take that to the bank. Unless you're like a television provider or there's some official type of signage, don't do that. But if it's just fans, you could do that. That's fine. I think it's a fair PSA. Yeah, so I guess we'll be back next week with another episode talking about the St. Louis Rams. I will wish this farewell to the Cleveland Guardian saga, a good story, a fun one that we've had uh, certainly a lot of fun covering. Guys, anything else to add before we officially put this episode in the books? I will say welcome to America, Dan Wallach. Uh, Next time he'll join the podcast, he'll be in America, which has only happened in the infancy of the Dan lost Dan Wallach era. For Dan Wallach, Dan Wallach's at Wallach Legal on social. Myself, Dan Lust at Sports All Lust. Mike is at Mike underscore son of underscore law. And Taryn is at TK Sharma Law. And of course, the podcast is at con detrimental. Big thanks to everyone that's been leaving us reviews. We're up to we're up to a lot of reviews. I don't want to tell you how many we have, but it's much more than we had about a week ago. So certainly appreciate that. If and if they of-
1: and if they leave five star reviews, we're going to read them on the podcast. So they okay, should
0: fair. leave five star reviews. Once we hit the certain milestone that we're we're very close to, we will start reading them on the air. But yeah, certainly appreciate the podcast. Certainly picking up a lot more steam in the last few weeks. So certainly appreciative that. For Dan, myself, Mike, Taryn, Stephanie, Jason, Emily, and everyone else. Who's who's been on this podcast. We will see you next time on another episode of Conic Detrimental.